how many leaders are really willing to become vulnerable to the team that they lead. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm your host and executive coach, Terry Lepofsky, and I want to thank you for choosing us. We have another great show lined up for you, and I think you're going to be really happy that you tuned in because today we're going to hear from an amazing business planner who's going to help us appreciate and become a little bit better at team building. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show the president of Next Level Business Planning, Mr. David Sachs. David, welcome to Inspiring Leaders. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. David, it's great to have you. You and I have known each other a bunch of years now. I've always really admired what you're doing. But before we jump into that, we've got a tradition on the show, kind of an icebreaker. The first question for you here, who or what inspires David Sachs and why? That's not really a hard question because I will go way back to my university years. I had an accounting professor and he was just a fabulous guy. He was trying to explain debits and credits, and a lot of people have problems with that. He would jump up on a desk and share debits on this side, credits on this side, debits, credit. It really got into it. And this really inspired me as to how do you teach people? So I continually think about this whenever I'm working with a team, trying to inspire them, trying to be creative in ways. I think of him all the time, what he did for me, and I try to do the same for my clients. So you bring the enthusiasm, the heartfelt enthusiasm into this then, do you? I sure try to do that, yes. Well, that's a great example, and it probably wasn't that many years ago, was it? (laughs) (laughs) More than I want to admit. (laughs) We'll never tell. Listen, you have that financial background. I know that you used to work for, what was it, Deloitte? Well, it was Touche Roth, which became Touche, which became Deloitte Touche. Right. It's now Deloitte. Even though you've got a bit of a background in finance, you've worked a lot with businesses over the last few years on things like team building and culture and strategic planning. As an example, I know that as the president of Next Level Business Planning, you're certified to facilitate the five behaviors of a cohesive team workshop. That one is based on Patrick Lencioni's groundbreaking and very popular book, the five dysfunctions of teams. And you also do an even more comprehensive consulting process. I think you call the next level process. Yeah, the next level team development process. That's where you take organizational leaders through the initial examination of where they're at now. You get some traction with them. You start building a vision for where they want their corporate culture and organization to be. And then you do some team building actions that include the five behaviors of a cohesive team workshop, and then a little bit of strat planning towards the end of that. I've been really impressed with that entire process. And I'm thinking that simply knowing about what it is that you're doing would help a lot of organizational leaders to hone in and zero in on some of the challenges that they may be having with their own teams and some strategies to help resolve it and work through it. So here's what I'm thinking, David, if you don't mind. Talk to us, if you will, a little bit about what you're doing to help organizations thrive and survive and do well and grow and provide us with maybe a few examples of where this has worked for some of your clients. Does that sound okay? Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. 
there's a lot of business coaches out there. They coach individual executives. An example is they even in golf, you have a swing coach, you've got a putting coach, you have a mental coach, maybe even other coaches. But can you imagine what would happen if a hockey team had a bunch of coaches for individual players, but no team coach? You need a team coach. You need to get the cohesiveness of the team. So individual executive coaching is fine, but there's got to be an executive team coach to get the team thinking alike. They have to be aligned. They've got to have the same vision and they've got to be moving forward. So creating the right team is what I focus on and getting that team to actually create the right vision, gain traction, be aligned together and actually get the results that they're looking for. I help the team see what they can't see. And that's really where I start. So the starting point is obviously trying to meet with the owner or the CEO and determine whether or not we have a fit, what their issues are, what they're trying to accomplish and how I can help them. We need chemistry. If you don't have chemistry, you're not going to work together. Yeah, I know that from uh, executive coaching work as well. It's vitally important, that trust level. Absolutely. And there's one other really important factor too, and it's the owner or CEO or the leader of the team has to be prepared to make changes. If they're not prepared to make changes, they're going to get the same results as what they're trying to overcome. Then I talk about the process that I go through, and that involves full-day off-site sessions, usually in the first five or six months, every 30 days. So it's one session every 30 days, which is not a major commitment on the part of the team, because if you're going to make your team much better, better focused and moving forward and getting the results you want, you got to devote some time to it. And a day, a month is not that much for the first five or six months. And then after that, it's just one day, a quarter. So on an average year, it's maybe four or five days a year. So that's a really small commitment to get the kind of results that they're looking for. Then we've got to decide who are the right people on the team. I had one example a couple of years ago where after we decided to work together, I got the list of those people that the CEO wanted to have on the leadership team. And it was a list of 20 people. And can you imagine having a leadership of 20 people for a company that maybe has 50 or 60 employees? I mean, it just, it was unworkable. So I took a look at the list we talked about it and we narrowed that down to about seven people. The type of people that should be on the leadership team are people like the CEO or the business owner, person who's head of operations, the chief financial officer, the person who heads up marketing and sales, human resources should be there, the top person for quality control, customer service, IT. If you bring it down to middle management, it's going to become unwieldy. We've really got to start there. You're making me think of the old adage, forming, storming, norming, and performing. So you're coming in at that point where organizations have grown to a point and there's a little bit of dysfunction as far as not being optimized. The one you described as being a little too top heavy and it needs to be optimized for the right number of people and the right people themselves who can lead that organization. Yeah, that's exactly right. Companies start small and they grow. And as they grow, the whole structure has to change with it. So one of the first things we do in day one is take a look at that organizational structure. Is this the structure that the company needs to take it to the next level? Do they have the right people reporting to the right people? Is it logical? Do they have to make changes? One client I was working with, once we started to look at the structure, and they felt the structure was fine, but once we got into it and took a look at it, they shifted a whole department to be under somebody else who they felt was in a better position to actually lead that department. Isn't that something? Yeah, now that's a major shift, but that's what they felt needed to be done. 
once we started to get into it, because before that, it would have just continued. And sometimes you've got one person reporting to two different bosses, and you've got to figure out how to solve that one as well. Usually on day one, we talk about the organizational structure and should we be making changes to it. Yeah. We talk about the key performance indicators. People have to understand what they need to do to get results. So it's not looking at a key performance indicator would not be sales, for example. It's what are the actions that are going to lead to those sales. Right. And it drives behavior. For example, you've got a salesperson. They may be given a quota, but how does he get the sale? The first starting point is to create a list of people he's going to contact. And then he's got to contact those people. And then he's got to set up meetings. The key performance indicator for him might be how many new contacts can you make each week? So you're focused on lead indicators rather than lag indicators. Precisely, because that's what drives behavior. And that's what gets people motivated to do what they need to do. And it puts the onus on them. It creates their accountability. And so we talk about that in the first day. And then we also talk about setting goals, how we're going to set them, how we're going to achieve them, talk about action plans and things of that nature. The other thing we're doing during this first day is we do, I like to call it a brain dump. Basically, we have a whiteboard and every time somebody thinks of an issue or a challenge or a problem that's facing the company, we write it down. And this could lead to maybe 30, 40, even 50 items on that whiteboard that at some point we're going to work towards solving, not necessarily the first day, but we are going to prioritize them and start working on those because I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and I got too many things on my mind that I know I have to do. The minute I write them down on a piece of paper, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I can go back to sleep. Yeah. If I don't write it down, I can't go back to sleep because I keep thinking about it. Me too. <laughs> so it's that brain dump that is really, really effective. So we do that. 30 days later, approximately, I come back. That part I call the traction. I get things moving in the right direction. A little momentum, yeah. Most coaches like to start with the vision. Mm -hmm. That's where people start. I like to start with the traction yeah. to get the boat moving forward. You can always change direction. But you got to start moving forward. Very smart. I like that. Yeah. And so the next couple of sessions, anywhere from two to three sessions, is now devoted to creating the vision of the company. Yeah. It starts with the core values. Organizational culture is critical to every company. An organizational culture eats strategic planning for lunch every single time. If you've got a great organizational culture, you will end up with a good strategic planning system. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. We establish three to five core values. If there are any more than five, can you imagine hiring people who adhere to seven, eight, 10, 12 different core values? They couldn't possibly do that. So you got to keep it to three to five key core values. Yeah. And those core values should be action oriented. In other words, if integrity happens to be one of the core values, it shouldn't be integrity. It should be always doing the right thing, as an example. It's not just integrity. It's what does integrity mean? Yeah. And that's how you define your three to five core values. And this has to be adhered to throughout the organization. You've got to hire based on those core values. You reward people. You promote people. And at some time, you may even have to fire people because they just can't adhere to those core values. But if you start hiring people based on those core values, Gradually, that organizational culture is going to come around to what you want them to be as opposed to what develops on its own, yeah. which is it's just a problem. Then we talk about what is the core focus of the business? Why are you in business? What's the purpose, cause, and passion of being in business? Yeah. Because people buy the why. 
They don't buy the what, they don't buy the how, they buy the why. That's what Simon says, right? Simon Sinek, yeah. Exactly. Why are people going to buy your product or service? Yeah. What problem are you going to be solving for them? Because people want the pain relief. Yeah. If you focus on your customers and talk about what pain are we going to relieve, then you're going to get to the why. Yeah, for sure. At this point, we talk about what are the three uniques? What are the three uniques that this company has that distinguishes them from other companies? You can have one unique, but that may not distinguish you because there's going to be others that have one unique. You can have two and that's a little better. But once you get to three or four uniques that you can define and market, that's when you're going to start to reach people. Interesting. Love it. This is why they will deal with you as opposed to your competitor. And from that, we can get into our marketing strategy and talk about that. And bear in mind, this is a two to three day period or sessions spread with 30 day intervals. So this could take a couple of months to develop. Yeah. Once we've got that marketing strategy, this is the point where we say, okay, now we're going to start to set goals. And the first is a long-term goal. Where do you want to be in 10 years? I mean, you take off in an airplane, the pilot says, I've got good news and I've got bad news. What's the good news? <laughs> we're ahead of schedule. Yeah. What's the bad news? I have no idea where we're going. <laughs> I love it. You have to figure out where you want to be. And it could be seven years, eight years, 10 years, whatever. But you've got to figure out where your long-term plan is. Where do you want to be? This is something I hear from Richard Branson, Elon Musk, on and on. They talk about setting those really, really audacious long-term goals. Where do you really want to be? way down the road. That's great. I like this. And then you ask the question, how did you eat an elephant? Then obviously it's one bite at a time. So now we break that 10-year goal down to where do we need to be in three years to be on target to hit the 10-year goal? And we want to visualize that. And then we talk about, okay, what do we have to accomplish this year to be on target to hit our three-year, which will then be on target to hit the 10-year? Yeah. And that's where we develop our one-year plan. And we should have anywhere from three to seven key goals or objectives for the year. And we define those. Mm -hmm. Again, like the core values, you can't have too many because if you set 15 to 20 goals, you're probably not going to achieve any or very few. So it's got to be three to seven really important goals that you want to establish. Yeah. We then set the next set of quarterly goals. And these goals have to be, you've heard of SMART goals, right? specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Right. Well, I like to add one more to that definition, and that's clarity. Ah. The, any goal you set has to be clearly understood by each member of the team. Because I've done this before. They've set a goal, and I've gone around the table, and I've said to each member of the leadership team, what does this goal mean to you? How do you interpret it? And I get different answers. Oh, yeah. If you get different answers, then they're not all pulling in the same direction. They're not all going in the same place. Yeah. So clarity is a key part of setting the goals. So what do you call that smart C? When I've said attainable and realistic can be dropped. So I talk about specific, measurable, attainable, and clear. Smack. Oh, smack goals. I like that. Yeah. Exactly. And we set those quarterly goals and we've make sure that somebody on the leadership team is in charge of each goal. One person in charge of each goal. One person could be in charge of more than one goal, but you could never have more than one person in charge of any one goal. 
and they don't have to do the work, right? They're just in charge to make sure it's driving forward. Exactly. They are the one responsible to make it happen. They obviously can draw on the talents and experience of anybody in the organization, even if they have to go outside the organization. They are responsible to get it done. Delegating and outsourcing and all that good stuff. Absolutely. You give the responsibility to somebody and generally they're going to accept that responsibility, especially when you've got the right people on the team. At the end of the second or third day that we're working on this is when we start learning how to solve the challenges that are facing the organization. So I usually work two to three hours at the end of the session, helping them define what are the most important challenges to deal with first. And then we talk about how do you solve the challenge? I had one example. I was working with a company. Their challenge was sales were not growing. They were actually declining. And so we had a chat about it and they were saying, we just can't understand what's going on here. So I sort of asked a series of why questions. First question was, why are sales declining? Well, it's because our salespeople, we have a big turnover in our sales force. Well, why do you have a big turnover in your sales force? Because they can't make enough commissions. Well, why can't they make enough commissions? Because we're losing sales to our competitors. Well, why are we losing sales to our competitors? Because the competitors are satisfying the customer better than we are. Well, why is that? Well, our product is about 20 years old and we just don't seem to have the right solutions anymore. So now, through that series of whys, we really got to the root cause of the problem. It wasn't that sales were lacking, it's because they had outdated product. So what we did as a team, and the owner had to step in because it involved the profitability of the company, she stepped in and committed to devoting a year to redesigning two product lines. They redesigned those product lines over the course of the next year, and the following year, sales doubled. This is a great example of age-old problem where the leaders don't get the message of what the frontline people are seeing. Exactly. And there's not the good communication that's taking place. They weren't meeting as a team to really understand what was going on. This helped them realize the importance of keeping everybody in the loop and of having regular meetings. Yeah. That gets us through the traction part and the vision part. And I usually like a team to be working together at least a couple of months before we get into the third phase of the process, the team building. This is the one I love, the team building, yeah. Exactly. Now, you can imagine the way teams function. There always seems to be the elephant in the room. There's always something that they can't talk about. Why can't they talk about it? It's because they haven't developed the level of trust that is needed to be honest with each other. Yeah. Now, you take a, a couple that's living together, they can say things to each other that are really personal. They bear their souls. They talk about all kinds of things that need to be said so that they can have a true and honest relationship and a much better relationship. With a team, you need to do something similar, not about personal things, but about business things. Right. What I want to develop at this point is vulnerability-based trust. Can you imagine, and this happens often, somebody makes a mistake, but they can't talk about it because they're too embarrassed or they don't have the level of trust. And when they try to cover up that mistake, it makes it worse. Yeah. What we try to do at this point is develop vulnerability-based trust, where somebody can say, I'm not sure what to do here. I think I made a mistake or I need some help. When the entire team can get to that level of trust, then you've made some progress. Then you can start talking about the real tough issues because then you can speak honestly, you can speak openly, and you can talk about the elephant in the room. You can raise any topic whatsoever. You deal with the issues, you don't deal with personalities, and you go forward. 
without fear of being attacked or embarrassed. Exactly. And one of the tools that I use is a behavioral assessment. This helps the team understand their team members, what motivates them, what stresses them out, how do they react under stress, how do you recognize when they're stressed, how do they process information. People are either generally verbal or they're visual. I know in my home life, I keep showing my wife things and it seems to go right through her and she keeps telling me things (laughs) and it goes right through me. What we finally realized is she's verbal. Yeah. When I show her things, she doesn't absorb them. She doesn't process them. I have to tell her things. Yeah. When she talks to me, she needs to show me things because I'm a visual person. Yeah. And communication gets so much better. So when you're communicating with somebody, you need to understand how they process information. When you get vulnerability-based trust on a team, that's when you can get into conflict. And we're taught that conflict is bad, but really conflict is good. Because that's when you get to the, the real issues that have to be discussed and they're causing the company not to move forward. When you can get into the conflict situation and everybody can speak their mind, then you're going to get to the true core issues. And when you've got all the facts, you can actually make the right decisions because they've been fully discussed and everybody has said what they really feel. So respectful conflict, where people are not jumping on each other and saying that's a lousy idea, but saying, okay, let me build on your idea with adding on another idea. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Working with the issues and not personalities. Because if you stick to the issues, you're going to have constructive discussion. It's not to say that if you don't agree with somebody, you need to be able to say that because you've got to have honest discussion. Yeah. And when you've got that honest discussion and everybody's had a chance to say what they want to say and you come to a conclusion, then you've got commitment. Mm -hmm. And that commitment is where you get the buy-in from everybody. Everybody has to agree. The decision may not be the one that each individual would like, but now they understand the reasons why that decision was made. Right. And when you get to that stage, that's when you get commitment. With that commitment, then everybody can start to hold each other accountable on that team. I mean, you look at a sports team, and if somebody on the team is not doing their job, the other team members are going to say something even before the coach says something. Yeah. So holding each other accountable to make sure that, that everybody is working towards their goals and results and, and achieving what they need to achieve, that accountability leads to results. Then I shift into a quarterly cycle. And this quarterly cycle is reviewing the past goals. Did we achieve them? Did we not? Why not? What did we do about it? When did we know? How did we react? That sort of thing. Take it as a learning experience. And also in those quarterly meetings, we review the challenges. In their weekly meetings, they're dealing with those challenges on a priority basis. But when I'm there once a quarter, I like to make sure that we're solving the challenges. So we take a look at the outstanding challenges that haven't been solved. We actually work on solving them over a two or three hour period during that day. Right. And we really start to get these challenges out of the way. And then we generally talk about the people in the organization. Is everybody adhering to the core values? Do we have the right people in the right seats? If there's any issues, we talk about it. Finally, at the end of each quarterly session, we set the goals for the next quarter. Because remember, what we're trying to do is achieve the annual goal. So by the end of the fourth quarter, we've met our one-year plan. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the final phase is at the beginning of each new year, we have a two-day strategic planning session where we basically do our strategic planning for the next year. We take our three-year period and move it out one year, set a new one-year plan, and set our quarterly goals. 
Yeah, because everything changes. So you have to constantly keep uh, revisiting those plans. Absolutely. And you might ask the question, what does this mean to business owners? Well, I've seen profits increase. Initially, they were increasing maybe 20, 30% a year. I have one client where they had really good profits, but over a three-year period, they were able to triple their profits simply because they now had the right leadership team in place. They were focused. They set good goals and they achieve those goals. And end result, profits tripled, sales increased by about one and a half times. That's pretty spectacular. I think that that's something that any CEO would want to hear, right? You would think so. This is excellent stuff. If I could put this in a, a little package here, you're providing a structure, a lot of clarity, and you're holding people accountable through this entire process. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. This is really pulling people out of the chaos that inevitably comes from growing an organization. It is. And making some sense and really giving it that clarity in that organization that it needs to perform and get those results. It absolutely does. It creates accountability. I'm often asked the question, how do you motivate people? And my answer is you can't. Yeah, motivation's an inside job, right? Exactly, exactly. I think that this is gold for a lot of people out there that are leading teams, leading organizations, and I'm sure that we're going to get some feedback, David. Here's what I want to do. If you don't mind, I want to wrap things up here with two questions for you. What challenges do you see facing many of the leaders out there today? I think one of the biggest challenges is having the right culture within the organization, creating the right organizational culture through the right core values is the one area that I see so many leaders facing and not realizing or understanding how do you correct it. The cohesive team, the right culture within the organization. I mean, companies like Google, Apple, all the big growing companies, Amazon, they focus on culture within the organization. And that's what the growing companies need to face. That's what their problems are. Oh, that's a brilliant answer. I love that. I have one more question for you, though, David. What does inspired leadership mean to you? Inspired leadership to me means a leader who works with the team and becomes part of the team. We talked earlier about vulnerability-based trust. How many leaders are really willing to become vulnerable to the team that they lead? Not that many. This is one of the reasons why a coach is so useful to the team is that with a coach, the leader can become part of the team. And when the leader is part of the team, then they can work with the team. The other thing it does is allows people within the team to say what needs to be said. When you've got a leader who doesn't want to become part of the team and and isn't willing to make the changes that are necessary, team members are afraid to say what has to be said. But when the leader is part of the team and goes through this same behavioral assessment and talk about weaknesses and talk about strengths and talks about how they react under pressure and so on, and they really become part of the team, that is the team that's going to move forward and take the company to the next level. What you're saying here is really ringing a bell for me. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. You've given us so much. I don't uh, suspect that I'm going to be able to summarize this very easily, but I will do my best. And I'll put some of this down into the show notes along with links to you, David, so that people can find you on LinkedIn, They'll have your email address. They'll have the website for next level business planning. I want to make sure that people are able to connect with you. Thank you so much for joining us here today, sharing your advice, your insights when it comes to team building. 
and for being here with us on the Inspiring Leaders podcast. Thank you so much, Terry, for having me. I really enjoyed it and good luck to everybody running their business. Wonderful. Listen, that's another Inspiring Leaders in the can. Thanks for being part of this adventure and we hope that you'll be back with us next week when we highlight another Inspiring Leader. And folks, if you know an inspiring leader and you want to see them showcased on our show, reach out to us. I'm going to put our email address in the show notes as well. So if you do know somebody that's doing a fabulous job, like David Sachs and some of the other fabulous guests that we've had on here, like I said, contact us, let us know about it. Let's talk. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in today. Take care and bye for now. <laughs>